morning, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Coffee with Jim and James. James, as I normally do with our guests, I sometimes come up with a wacky story. And I have two stories in my head today. One, one's real. One, well, it was going to be about my time with the Blue Angels flying uh, into the skies. Well, not really. But uh, Dan is joining us today from many different uh, areas, but one thing, he did serve our country for over 20 years. And, you know, honestly, I just had to stop. And I usually come up with these within the 30 seconds before we get started. I just want to say on behalf of James and I and everyone, thank you, sir, for your service thank to you. our country. Greatly appreciated. Now, let, let's bring a, uh, wait, hold on a second, Dan. Let me, let me bring it in. We, uh, pre-show, we were having some really good fun. And Dan- Pre-show's where all the fun happens, right, Jim? Yep. <laughs> and we got to bring it in. Dan's like, well, you know, I'm traveling right now. I'm in a uh, not so normal location. He's like, uh, I have it propped up on a wicker chair with two books, uh, a Ziploc bag. So if my computer falls, you know what happens. And I'm like, you know, they think that we're in studios all the time. James has that persona. If I were to say that I'm working off of a nightstand right now with a Bible holding up my computer and uh, some other things, would you believe that or not? Well, every once in a while, Jimmy, we see a dirty clothes pile just pop up randomly over in the corner. It, it just it thinks it's a person or your face. It just looks at it and you know brings it to light. So yes, I would believe it. Uh, but that not, I said it in the pre-show. Nothing personifies our show quite as well as Dan's setup for his computer. You know, if there if there is a show that is built on duct tape and mailing wire, that is us. But. Yeah. Dan, longtime friend of ours, welcome to the show. Hey, th- thanks for having me, and uh, uh, appreciate the military comments. I was a C-130 guy in the Air Force, and if you know anything about C-130s, they are held together by duct tape and bailing wires. Cool. So, um, really, this computer setup just makes me feel right, right at home. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's what we're trying to do, make you feel at home. Well, Dan joins us from Scope Services, uh, which... I could tell you everything, but I'd probably miss something. So I'm going to let Dan catch us up on that, on what what he does at Scope Services and the bigger picture of what Scope Services does. But also, um, just excited to have you on, man. Good friend yeah. that, that uh, we stayed connected with. I think Dan and I met right before, maybe the year leading up to our first conference at Texas Motor Speedway. And so we had some overlap there. And so we became friends as part of that. And then as we move forward, we stayed connected via LinkedIn and we've shared leadership stuff along the way and we're excited to have Dan on. So Dan, tell us a little bit about Scope Services and uh, the part you, the role you play there. Sure. So uh, Scope Services is, uh, we've been in business a little over 55 years. Um, we're hundred percent woman-owned business. Uh, Lydia Dembski started the organization um, back in the early sixties and primarily was a staffing company then. Um, and was staffing utility projects. And as time goes on, um, started getting into more and more turnkey projects. So um, kind of our core business line right now is a lot of uh, AMI deployments. Um, so advanced metering infrastructure. So we do that in the gas, electric uh, and, and water space. Um, as well, we do demand response work. So install uh, energy efficiency switches in people's homes. Um, we have another group called KVA that does uh, electrical substation control panels. Um, as well as we do meter reading and, and field service work. So it's really a very, very broad organization, touches lots of parts of uh, the utility space. And then uh, my role in particular, I'm the vice president of operations excellence. So um, I really drive the safety, the quality, uh, and then a lot of our data and uh, 
kind of transformational looks on how do we you know move the organization to uh, really stay in that kind of leading edge of uh, technology space. Wow. Uh, you, you mentioned one term. I just want to bring it back because, you know, our industry loves acronyms. Uh, what was that? AMI? Is that AMI. what you said? Smart okay. meters are we AMI. talking about? Smart meters. Yep, absolutely. So smart meter deployments. So when you look at um, currently like a, a project that we're partnering with EWN on right now is right. Um, we're up in the Puget Sound area. So we're replacing 400 and about 450,000 uh, indexes that are on the gas meters. Um, so those will tie into a wireless network and then that wireless network will kind of eliminate the need for meter readers, but also um, give customers more uh, direct access to, you know, how much gas are they using? What does it look like? Um, and it also gives the, the energy company insight into, hey, why is there so much gas going to this home? Is there a leak? And really try to get on the preventative side. Um, it really kind of brings data into the homeowner's hands as well. Can I ask That's, you, or, or, I'm sorry, it, no, go I ahead, was going to say, uh, AMI, smart meters, I Mm -hmm. Not my forte, but I was thinking about this over the years that, you know, that's a lot of things to go, like, you know, signals to be sent. Is it true that mm -hmm. how it works is like one house's smart meter will send its data to the next meter at the next house and to the next house? And then after a string of them, then they get uploaded into the, to the cell tower type thing, as opposed to everybody just sending signals. Does that make sense what I'm asking? It, it does. So what you'll see is um, there's some major players in the space, right? Landis and Gear, Itron, so forth. So they operate on a, on a utility band of wireless networks. Yep. So as the electric meters go in, they create a mesh network throughout the, the neighborhood. And then that moves themselves to data collectors. Those data collectors move them uh, all the data up to the, um, to the utility itself. Okay. So I was kind of on the right page then. Absolutely. So the previous generation was was what they called AMR. Um, so that was really kind of a, a half step into AMI. So it used to be a meter reader came by, had to interpret the dials, and that's what you know drove your electric bill or gas bill. Then AMR was an electronic where we could drive by um, or just walk up with the device and it would read it for you. So now it's kind of just right. the next step of, of taking that wireless thing. Right. Oh. That's cool. I'm true, true nerd. I, I had to get my notepad because I wanted to write down a few things because I, I like that stuff. Dan, I'm a data guy, um, and it's a. I'm sure the the guests and uh, the audience are tired of hearing it, but um, old technology guy here. I guess I'm still a technology guy, kind of. But uh, when I hear data and data analytics, I get excited. Um, tell tell me a little bit more about those data analytics and and the impacts on utilities and and what we're seeing there. Absolutely. So one of the things um, people have a tendency, I think, sometimes to overcomplicate data. And so if we think about something that we use on a fairly regular basis, um, your vehicle, as you drive it, creates millions of data points per second. Mm -hmm. um, if you really wanted to, you could measure the speed of a bearing and what that bearing heat is and so forth. Um, but does that really mean something to you as the driver, what your, what your bearing speed is, right? Um, so really big data is being able to measure everything that the car is doing. Um, but just like the dashboard on your car is how do we simplify that information and feed it to someone who's an operator uh, to make good sound decisions based off of the information that they're receiving. Um, one of the problems I think when we look at big data is we've suddenly figured out that we should measure, uh, we could measure bearing speed. So someone says we should do that. We should put it on the a dashboard. Everyone should know what, 
Yeah. Exactly, right? The Baron guy's like, dude, this is this is the most important thing that just <laughs> happens. And but no one else knows why why it's there. And so um, one of the things it, from an example of this, we started our digital transformation. So we had fleet Maddox on our vehicles and um, it was a little clunky how it worked. And so um, we had a, a vehicle incident rate that, that was a little bit of a challenge for us because uh, we were in some areas, there was higher vehicle incident rates than what we really wanted. So we were able to kind of take that data and simplify it um, and then return it to the managers and go, hey, you know what, here's a real simple way to look at your driving behaviors and um, really, I don't need you to worry about most people. Here's kind of our bottom 20%. Let's focus on getting them better. Um, and so we went from essentially like one vehicle accident every 25,000 miles to one every 275,000 miles. Um, huge improvement um, and, and from the safety standpoint. Um, but then when you also look at it from a bid process um, and really being able to work with the utilities, I think, you know, I, I grew up a blue collar guy. Um, you know, my brother uh, owns a construction company. My dad was an HVAC guy. Um, so a lot of times we're kind of scared of those kind of big data terms. And we kind of have that, that gut yeah. instinct of what something should cost. Um, and so what we've seen, I think, in a lot of industries is prices get artificially lowered. And then people get into contracts and they're not successful. And no one can really point back to why. And so really putting that data and analytics piece um, into the utility system helps the utilities make better decisions on contracting. Um, and, and really, ultimately, as you start to measure this stuff as the leader, you're able to make better decisions because you have more actionable information. Um, yeah. And I think that's the most interesting thing as you go through a big data conversion is just there's the field feeling. But then when you kind of pull the data back, you're like, well, wait a second, I know you feel this way, but this is what we're seeing. And you could really kind of get that third side of the story and, and right. really make better decisions. I like it. Um, you know, it reminds me of two things, Jim, and I don't want to be the seven habits guy, but it's oh, kind of, first things first, you know, first things first a little bit, <laughs> you know, dashboards allow us to, to kind of get to those first things first. Right? Yep. I think that's huge. Uh, and I forgot the second one. <laughs> Well, if you remember, it come on really in. really important, but uh, right. I'll jump back in when I get Yeah, jump back in. Dan hit on a few things that have prompted something in my mind. One, um, I follow you on LinkedIn, and some of your posts are phenomenal. So for the audience out there, please go to the LinkedIn platform and follow Dan, connect with him, et cetera. You won't be disappointed. And I'm bringing up a lot of your posts have to do with leadership in the field leadership, you know, leadership, you know, boots on the ground type of thing. You seem to have a... I'm not going to say a, uh, I'm going to say you have a passion for it. That's what I'm going to say. You know, you, you <laughs> live, eat and breathe it. Bring us all into your world a little bit. Why, why are you so passionate about that? What, what drives you in that? And what's your, uh, you know, what, what, what do you, uh, what do you want to keep sharing with people about that? Absolutely. So I, I, I always like to kind of use my dad as an example in this is, um, so he, he grew up and he was a, a commercial heating, heating and air guy, um, yeah. was really, really good at what he did and, and worked for, you know, he has a gold watch from the union, uh, you know, from, from doing this for so long. So he was a master technician, but he never wanted to be a leader. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times um, we take people like him and say, well, you've been doing this a long time you should be the manager of the shop or you should be the supervisor who's running people. You should do these things. Um, I think that kind of puts people in a, in a bad position, right? So 
um, as we do that, we kind of take our highly skilled technicians, we drop them into these leadership positions that they weren't really prepared for. Yeah. They become frustrated because now they're not doing what they're passionate about doing, right? They're, they're now having to kind of lead this team. So the next solution as a company we come up with is, well, we need a leadership and development program, right? So we pull everybody into the room and, and we sit down with the finance team. We go, well, what would make a better manager? And they, well, if they did payroll better, if they did time clock better, if they did these things. So they come up with these, these hard skills, right? And as we continue through kind of the, the progression of the different offices, they all come up with all these hard skills, but no one steps back and says, has someone actually taught them that, you know, this is what human performance is. This, this is what, you know, errors are going to happen. How, how do you get change management and get them through a, a change management process? And um, even people that go to college, you'll find that very few of them even go through a leadership training class, maybe, maybe one in a bachelor's degree. Um, so even your leaders of the company that are even, you know, and maybe some higher management or executive roles don't have a lot of fundamental leadership training. And so, um, I think that's something that I look back at in my military career as really a blessing is, um, you know, as a young guy, they send you through you know, six weeks of leadership training. About four or five years later, you go through another six weeks. And then, you know, two, three years later, you go through a six week correspondence course. Then a couple of years yep. later, you're in another eight week long course. And while you're there, it's very focused on the soft skills and how to motivate and get people to do things. And so um, I love this, this line. Uh, if you ever saw the movie, The Breakup, I'm sorry. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. But there's a great line from the movie. So I love the movie. Jennifer Aniston. And, oh, do you? Do you? Yeah, I really <laughs> do. I think it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn are in this, in this argument, right? And he's kind of tired after this long day. And Jennifer Aniston walks in and she's like, hey, can you help me with the dishes? And he's like, look, I'm tired. I've been, you know working all day. I just want to play my game. And they go back and forth for a little bit. And suddenly he finally he's like, fine, I'll do the dishes. And so he gets up and she's like, no, 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 I don't want your help now. And he's like, well, I just, I'm finally doing what you asked me to do. She's like, you know, it's not that I want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes yeah. with me. Um, and I think that's the fundamental thing in leadership that we miss a lot of times is that I, I don't want someone to be safe on a job site. I want them to want to be safe on a job site. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want them to be productive because I had to force them to be productive. I want them to want to be productive. I want them to want to do a high quality job. Um, I think we missed that and really that soft skill space in leadership. That was beautiful. My language, Dan. You're speaking yeah. my love language, soft skills. <laughs> um, you know, so we, we focus a lot on soft skills at Energy World Net. We have a class for it. We have a full day class that we teach. Um, I get to co-teach it about every other time. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite things. You know, one of the things we say, and Dan, since uh, I think since the last time we talked, I'm now over HR now, which is terrifying, especially if you were on the pre-show. But um, we, uh, you know, we say it all the time. We hire um, for hard skills and we fire for soft skills, you know, a lot. And so one, one of the things we've instituted is when you come on board, man, you, you jump in a soft skills class. We set up, you know, we level set on that. We go through seven habits, man. You know, start building those paradigms, right? Rebuilding those paradigms and, and you know, putting the habits in place more so so that they can get to that spot where they, the, the productivity is the result of them being passionate and doing things right and having those core, you know, habits and fundamentals, not because we're going, you got to do this, this, that, and the other. 
yep. it turns more into giving them the skills that they want to do it, right? So, so different approach, such a different approach. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. And that's, um, yeah, kind of when, when I look back at, at uh, yeah, there's a couple things that, that I found interesting as I went through my MBA program was um, we had some focus on leadership, but what we actually missed a little bit was followership as well, right? And so mm -hmm. um, being an aviator, uh, yeah, there's normally five to six of us that operate a C-130 at a time. Um, only one person can control the airplane at a time, right? Everyone has a role that fits into that scheme. And you have to be really, really good at your role. And then there are certain times that that kind of who's in charge flips around. So um, I was what they called an aircraft load master. So I owned the, the back end of the airplane, all the cargo, all the airdrops. And so while we were flying, unless it was an airdrop, I didn't have a lot of input on what was going on up front. But as soon as we hit the ground and say Baghdad, um, and you're trying to get the you know, cargo on and off as quick as humanly possible, make good decisions, you know, you're sitting there now feeding the pilot, hey, this is what we need to do. I need this, 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 we need to go. Um, and what I found very interesting kind of through the, through my MBA program is there was a lot of focus on being the leader. Um, and we, then we started actually having conversations on how do you become a good follower? How do you fit into the right role? How do you know when to lead and when to step back and, and, and to be the teammate? Um, and I think that's something we kind of miss on that leadership development side as well as not everyone can be the chief at the same time. No yep. doubt. Jim, I don't know if you remember it from the last conference at, at Texas Motor Speedway 2019. Uh, I closed it because uh, our president, Jeff Isbell, he was, uh, wasn't there. And I finished actually, and my final part of my close was, I don't know if you've seen the TED Talk. It's, one, it's the most popular one of all of them. It's only about three and a half minutes long, but it's about the first follower and how important the first mm -hmm. follower is, the first nut, you yep. know that follows yep. and it's a really awesome i'm telling you it's three and a half minutes we'll link it up when we're done but uh such a i mean it personifies it following is very very important because what what good is a leader if nobody's following or knows how right it knows how is the other part right and, that, and that's i think where i've seen other teams fail is um i've been in some organizations where you bring a lot of of high potential leaders together um, and they don't always necessarily work well because there's too many people trying to figure out how to be, uh, you know, kind of the, the lead dog in the pack. Um, so you always have to make sure you have that right balance of people that, yeah, kind of like my dad, right? He wanted to work hard. He wanted to be really, really good at what he did. And he was one of the, the best in the state, um, but also wasn't, you know, going to be the troublemaker trying to figure out how to, you know, move politically through the ranks. It was... It creates the right balance. Right. That's awesome. Very cool. Dan, um, training. I mean, ex you have excellence in your title, which is awesome. I think yeah. that says a lot. That is good. Yeah. Right? So um, you, I, I, know, I know where it comes from, but I'm just going to pretend that I don't. Uh, tell me a little bit. You, you mentioned something in the pre-show about, you know, we need to be modeling our training after aviation. Yep. And, I know exactly what you're what you're going to go into. I have someone working for me right now on the design side. Shout out Connor Elliott, uh, who does a lot of work with us here um, at Energy WorldNet. He's going through uh, aviation school. I think he just got certified as a pilot. He's he's working his way through to um, you know go through it. So he's been talking about the training a lot, and obviously we all know that. But tell us a little bit about what you think our industry and, and all industries could maybe beg, borrow, and steal from the aviation world. 
Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, one of the, the big fundamental shifts after serving in the Air Force for so long and then kind of coming to the corporate side of the world was the difference in uh, who does the training. Um, so on the aviation side, to become an aircraft instructor, you have to be in the top 10% of those that, that do your job, right? So that group becomes your core instructor core, and only out of that group, the top 1% become evaluators. Uh, but it's for a very specific reason is we want only the best to teach our newest people so that they learn those skills, those habits. Um, and one of the things that I think is kind of that fundamental flaw, and I've been in this position many a times where someone comes to me and goes, I really like Johnny. He's a great guy, but he's not the most productive. And, you know, we're kind of trying to move him out of operations, but we don't see a need to fire. Is there a way we can move him on to the training team? Um, so that's the model that becomes the trainer, right? That, that's uh, other times it's just someone who, you know, maybe doesn't like the work and they're trying to figure out a different way into the role. Um, because again, we make that kind of bad decision-making habit of, well, they're my most skilled technician. So they're my next supervisor. They're my next manager of the office. And so again, we haven't added those soft skills. We haven't exposed them to having to work with people. So um, yeah. I think the one thing that we did really well in aviation was you had to become that instructor. It's kind of your first step forward into leadership. So you had to be really good at what you did. Then you had to be able to lead and motivate people and train people. Um, and, and aircraft instructors are not generally nice people. I mean, they're kind, but they're also very straightforward. This is Correct. what you did wrong. This is what you need to do better. This is how we're going to get better next time. Next time we step to the airplane, this is what I expect from you. Um, and, and that's the kind of rigor that I think um, we could learn, especially on the gas pipeline side where, you know, safety is so critical is instead of kind of finding someone that you're trying to hide from operations, let, let's take one of your best operators and use them as the role model for your future. That's mm -hmm. that's that's really good. I, I have to tell you, my mind was going back to your story that you told a few minutes ago in relation to this, where in a C-130, you're up in the air. There's one person in charge, right? The pilot, right? But then mm -hmm. once you hit the ground and things are rolling, that the next person is charged is you, right? The pilot would literally right. take orders, quote unquote, from you, like if you were giving direction or orders. And it really mm -hmm. takes away, you have to take away that pride and you have to take away that, I guess it is pride or whatever, whatever facade you want to say, saying, no, in, in this case, Dan's in charge. Whatever Dan says goes, you know, if I need this, this, and this, listen to him. Now, when we're up, you know, right. 15,000 feet, different story. Pilot says, I need this, this, and this. Everybody on the plane, I'm sure, is going to hop to it because the alternative might not be the best one. So interesting, though, aspect. And I think a lot of us can take, take that and really utilize that in the things that we do and embrace that. I'll tell you the other thing I think we can steal from that side. And I think we're getting there now, but, you know, I'll go back to even not even not, not leadership, but training, you know, and the simulators and stuff like that. I think we're rapidly, I mean, we're seeing it all over 360 VR, you know, yep. being able to be in that mm -hmm. control room or whatever it is, or on that job site and looking around and looking at that spoil pile or whatever it is, right? Like there's no replacement for that. There's a reason that pilots know what to do when they get in the air is because they've done it on the ground over and over and over. And I know not, mm -hmm. but uh, I think we're getting there from a technology standpoint in our industry as well, pretty rapidly. 
and that's yep. exciting too. Yep. Says the nerd. Absolutely, and and I think AR and VR really a, a lot of the future of the of the blue collar industry, which kind of ties you know data and training and, and leadership all together is. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with Boeing and, and, and helping build the new KC-46, the new tanker. Um, wow. And they had folks that were on the assembly line that were wearing AR goggles that were giving them the instructions of what they were building. And that when they would take a piece and line it up, it would turn green and say, wow. yep, that, that's in the right place. Right. Um, that, you know, so the Boeings of the world started, but, you know, eventually that's going to benefit those of us out here in the field is, you know, how does someone on an excavator, have AR goggles on that, you know, maybe is even showing them where gas pipeline is in an AR environment. They can, yeah. you know, see a virtual image of it. How, how can we have a spoils pile that starts to turn red because, you know, it's no longer safe. It's getting too right. high. It's yeah. Th things like that. So um, I think technology is, is going to be coming out as quick. And I, I'm one of those early adopters. So I'd say the quicker, the better. Same. Same. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are. And I'll say this though, where people like me maybe make fun of the generation right now that plays uh, fifth night, sixth night. What is that thing called James? Whatever. My son's probably playing around now playing Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah. Bringing down my bandwidth while we record this. Okay. Yeah, we may make fun of it, but we have people that are doing things, you know, with both hands, with multiple buttons, very quickly in an environment that isn't, you know, a virtual, but I tell you, they're one step away when they put on AR, they're like, you know, VR, boop, boop, you know, they're like, you know, seamlessly with it. So I, I think it's interesting. It's fun to see, you know, it really is. And it's fun to see the evolution. Dan, hold everybody, hold the press. Dan, as we get down towards the end of the show, okay, we have one riveting question that we give you. This one's a stumper, okay? So prepare yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally. Ready? Dan? I, I didn't stretch before the show, but I probably should have. But all right, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this works out. Ready? <laughs> Dan? Yep. Do you love what you do? Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, the, the, the ability to really help somebody in the field be better at what they do and make them feel more successful at what they do. Um, it, it is the best thing that I could possibly give back. I, I was a, a kid who grew up in Kansas, um, joined the Air Force because uh, my dad got me a plumbing apprenticeship. I found out I was probably not going to be the guy who ran the snake in a sewer line um, within about a week. So I'm pretty sure he, he knew exactly what he was doing by getting me a plumbing apprenticeship. Um, I went to my brother and he was uh, you know, doing some drywall work. And I figured out after about two hours of drywall, I was not cut out to be a drywall guy. Um, and he kind of looked at me because he was a former Marine. He's like, you know, you should just go join the Air Force. They're just like civilians in uniform. Uh, so I kind of <laughs> laughed. I got in my car. I literally drove to the Air Force recruiter uh, and, and signed up, um, became a maintainer on B-52s. And um, as I went and I transitioned over to aviation because I wanted to be on the operations side. I really wanted to be that you know, up close and personal with what was going on in the world. And um, there was one person in particular uh, we were sitting around the office one day when I was doing flight tests out at Edwards Air Force Base. And he was like, you know, well, where'd you get your, your bachelor's degree from? And I'm like, nah, I, I, I'm not a college guy. I'm in my mid thirties. I got two kids at home, you know, I've had a great career, but then he goes, Oh, that's great. He goes, so what are you going to get your degree in? And I'm like, I, I don't know if you heard me. I, I'm not a college guy. I, I barely made it out of high school and was lucky enough to get a, a job in the Air Force. Right. Uh, and he goes, well, cool. Well, let's go to lunch. And so we, 
jump in his car and he was a B-52 pilot. And so, yeah, we're driving. I'm like, well, this isn't where lunch is. He goes, no, we're going to the education office. You're going to sign up for a bachelor's degree. <laughs> and, you know, um, we're, we're going to, we're going to go do this. And so I was like, look, I, again, man, I, I failed algebra two and accounting in high school. Like I'm not the guy that's supposed to go to college. And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're, we're, we're going to get you through. Um, and so he actually kind of ignited something to me. I ended up finishing a bachelor's degree, then um, yeah, and then industrial technology, then a master's in quality engineering, and then an MBA. Wow. So I failed accounting and I failed algebra. And now I have a master's in engineering. Not, not <laughs> bad. But it was not that bad. Not bad for yeah, a guy. But it was that one guy. Yeah. yeah. One guy took a little bit of time and, and, and really wanted to make an impact on my life. And, and that's why I try to be every day is that one guy that hopefully can make an impact on somebody at our company or, or somewhere that they can achieve something that they thought they didn't think they could achieve. Cause I, I told myself a lot of times I couldn't achieve a lot of things that I have and yeah, really? just took one person. That's wonderful. I, Dan, um, when I was little, I'm just tell this cause I think it's funny. I also did not become a plumber. But my, uh, my grandpa, when I was little, I remember sitting at the coffee. We used to have coffee every morning before we went and worked together when I was little. And so I remember I was probably like six or seven years old and we're drinking coffee at the table. That's just how I grew up. And uh, we're sitting there and I was biting my nails, just, just going to town on it. And he, he looked at me and said, quit biting your nails. And I said, I can't. And he goes, you know how you can quit biting your nails? And I said, how? And he said, "Come a plumber. And I was like, mm, yep, yeah, that'll do it. So I also. <laughs> not a plumber. Okay, I got it now. Uh, ah, it takes a go. minute, <laughs> you know? especially when you're seven. Right? It took me about 30 years to figure out what that joke was. But either way, but Dan, your passion flows out, man. Uh, appreciate all your time you put in. Um, Absolutely. We're, we're on a similar mission uh, touching as many people as we can with this podcast. And uh, yep. we hope that uh, we help do that with you as well. I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. And, and we've had a great relationship with, with EWN. Um, you know, when I look at where's my go-to uh, in the OQ space, you guys have always been there um, for my previous role. And as soon as I got here, we started doing some gas work. They're like, well, who should we use as our OQ provider? I'm like, didn't even hesitate. I, I know who he is. He's right on LinkedIn, reaching out, you know, let's get this rolled up. And uh, so we've really grown that relationship with y'all and, and appreciate everything. One of the best programs out there. So thanks for all y'all do. Jeez, do, do we have to, I mean, we're going to buy you a cup of coffee after that one. Let me tell you, my friend, <laughs> uh, that was great. That was, you know, I, I, Perfect. And again, let me wrap this up, Dan. Thank you on behalf of James and I and our company and the industry mostly you are making a difference and your mindset where if you could touch one person positively one time a day and have them make a difference, the world's a better place. And James and I absolutely embody that. We, we live by it and it, it drives us every day, drives our company to be better, to make the world a safer place to, to work. So thank you, Dan, for joining us today. Please, audience, connect with Dan, go over to LinkedIn. If you're on a podcast right now, go over to LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, connect with him, follow Scope, uh, follow, look at some of his posts. They're fantastic. You will not be disappointed. And again, on behalf of us, thank you for joining us today. We hope you gathered one thing to make your world a little bit better today. And as I always say, until next week, stay safe. We'll see you next week on Coffee with Jim James. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, everybody. Excellent.